Hello and welcome to episode 153 of Section 138. As always, I'm your host, Mark Cauley, and joined by my co-host, Bryson. Don't have Jacob with us here today to celebrate a huge series against Baltimore Orioles, but it is another huge series against an opponent for the Blue Jays that they need to win. They take three of four as we record this now. They're officially tied for the first wildcard spot with the Boston Red Sox. By the end of tonight, they could be in a three-way tie, including the Yankees for the two wildcard spots. Or by the end of tonight, they could be alone with the Red Sox in the two wildcard spots. We'll see what happens, but quite the weekend for the Blue Jays and a lot of history along the way. Bryson, how are you? I am doing fantastic, Mark. This is two straight now uh, series wins where we haven't been without Jacob, but we've been recording, we've been having a good time, and yeah, I mean, like this past weekend, besides obviously the opening game of the series, we saw probably the craziest doubleheader I think we've ever kind of witnessed in these last two days or what happened on Saturday, and of course today, you know, as much as maybe the Jays were kind of giving a nod to the NFL for the first day of the season, 22-7 to final score, feels like a football score. Um, I guess maybe that's what was going on, but another, just an abomination all weekend in runs. And yeah, I was about to mention it too, but don't look now. They are currently tied for that wildcard spot, and things are looking good. They are in officially in a playoff spot for the first time maybe since April or maybe the first time of the season. I'm not even sure, but it feels great to see them there. And, um, you know, this is the best part of the season right now with this team, and it's the most fun to watch them, and they're having a good time. Yeah, it, it's a dream to be watching this team right now. And, you know, except for the first game, which is, of course, forgettable in this, they lose the first game, which you can make all the excuses you want about them. They shouldn't have lost that game. You should never be able to lose a game to Baltimore Orioles, but credit to them where credit's due. They come back in game two, the first game of that doubleheader. They are down 10-5 at one point. They crawl back, make it 10-7, 10-9, and then George Springer hits that mammoth home run in the top of the ninth inning with two outs, backs against the wall. The Blue Jays win it 11-10, and then you have in that game two of that doubleheader, the Blue Jays... Um, you know, being no hit going into the seventh inning. And then all of a sudden, Vladdy breaks a no hitter. Bobachet breaks the shutout and the Blue Jays take the lead and they just erupt in an insane inning. 11 runs in one inning. They win that game 11 to two. And then going into Sunday, we don't know what to expect. It's a rubber match of the four game set. And they just continue what they did the night before. And it was a wild party to watch on the base pass before there was a single out they had scored five runs they already had a grand slam they hit two grand slams they score the second most runs in a single game in franchise history only two behind the franchise record like if there was ever a moment in time this season where this team was firing on all cylinders this is it like this now has surpassed the success that we saw to this team when they first returned to Toronto right after the trade deadline when they went, what, 9-2 and two on that homestand. The success they are having right now has surpassed that. They've gone 13 out of their last 15 heading into today's game. Now they're 14 out of their last 16. They're in a wildcard spot. They've come all the way back. All the momentum is pointing towards a postseason run for this team. Uh, it's a crazy time to be a Blue Jay fan, and it was so, so fun to watch everything that was happening this weekend, especially the offense. Like, I just can't wrap my head around how good the Blue Jays did offensively this series, especially the last few innings on Saturday, the first few innings on Sunday. It's just mind-boggling the stats that they put up. And I know it's against Baltimore, but they're doing things that haven't been done for decades or sometimes haven't been done in the history of baseball with their four-inning run in the seventh inning of Game 2 on Saturday and the first three innings of Game 1 on Sunday. So just mind-boggling stuff and so much fun to watch. 
it's gotten to the point where it just feels like like it doesn't feel real like it like these are almost like more than video game numbers of what we've seen just the circumstances of what's happened um in the series first of all we all know uh it was a rough start to the series and just a game that you definitely you definitely want to forget obviously it was kind of an off night from uh, Robbie Ray and really the only takeaway that I think we'll all kind of remember and look back on and laugh at now was just the weird exchange between Brandon Hyde and Robbie Ray uh early on in the game it looked like Robbie Ray was like almost like confused at one point but I don't know what, nobody really knew what the heck was going on. I guess we found out after that there was some sort of miscommunication or the Orioles got, I don't know, just paranoid with something they thought Robbie Ray was doing. Robbie Ray was talking about how nobody was hitting at their sliders. It was just a a bizarre start to the series and obviously a letdown. The only good thing that came out of that night was the Red Sox and Yankees both losing. So essentially, um, nothing really happened in terms of the, the standings. The only thing that really happened was the Mariners and... Um, the sorry, the Seattle Mariners and Oakland A's gaining a game on the Jays and everybody else, but that um, looks a lot better where you look at it now. But just at the time, that's pretty much the only thing that happened. But then, of course, you go into a doubleheader. Um, you know, you know that at this point, all right, uh, the best you can do is a series win, win three in a row. It was definitely doable. It's definitely what happened, and uh, it doesn't start off good with Hunjin Ryu having, I think, the shortest outing officially as a Blue Jay, two and a third, seven earned runs. Uh, his ERA now well over four at four ten or four eleven to be exact and um, I'm not sure what's going on we all know we've talked about it so many times in terms of a decline and at this point it's been very inconsistent of him because he's having good starts he's having bad starts and we know when he has bad starts like they're bad starts they're not mediocre they're bad like he gets lit up bad and that's exactly what happened on that game uh, Ross Stripling comes in after gives up three runs it just felt like you know another game that got away from the Jays and then when you're looking at it you're starting to little panic a little bit saying now, in terms of the Baltimore Orioles, who've lost almost 100 games, the best we're going to get out of this possibly is splitting a series. And that's, of course, what was going on. It was 7-3. Um, and then that's things quickly changed. I know Danny Jansen, ever since coming off the IL, continues to hit good, especially over his last 15 days. Um, an OPS over 1,500 since coming off the injured list. Um, in those 15 days, he's come back, and he's hitting the ball really well. Three home runs, nine RBIs, and that was definitely uh, one of the things that started the comeback. They made it 7-5. The Orioles, you know, it just felt like every time the Jays scored in that game, the Orioles would add more runs because after that inning, uh, the Orioles went up 10-5. And then, of course, in the fifth inning, the Jays are now down 10-5. Jake Lamb gets the Jays back in. It gets them within three runs. And then in both games of this doubleheader, and first of all in game one, you have a four-run seventh inning, and that was the deciding factor. You have Laura Scurriel singling, Jake Lamb with another RBI, and give credit to Jake Lamb as much as he, based off of his numbers, isn't the greatest hitter. He's, he had a good series. Um, you know, I know we know it was the Orioles, but still, he was hitting the ball well. And of course, to take the go-ahead lead, because we've seen this before um, a few times this year from George Springer, and we all know the circumstances pretty much playing on one leg, not healthy, 80%, maybe at the best, comes off the, or, you know, DHing in game one, comes off um, and hits a go-ahead home run. Uh, what was it? A two go-ahead two-run home run. And that got the Jays ahead just like that. And when you're looking at it, it's just crazy to see how much they came across or, you know, what, what they overcame in those seven innings. It was a seven-inning game, and it's crazy that he did that. And, um, you know, I'm sure he felt pain-free around that, uh, home run trot with all the adrenaline but you know for someone who's been slacking or someone who's been struggling ever since coming off the IL because just because he's not healthy to begin with that must have felt good for him to do and you know it was just really really exciting to see that he's definitely one of the people also that was contributing because we know everybody else who's been co- contributing and of course the big highlight again this entire 
entire weekend was Lourdes Gurriel Jr. Just continuing to destroy the ball. Another grand slam, and then, of course, another home run. And then, of course, in game two of the doubleheader, the same thing was going on. The Jays have a bullpen game. Thomas Hatch goes four innings. He does his job, I think. I think we can all accept that four innings and one earned run because he isn't really... um, you know, stretched out completely. It was just definitely something that you want in a doubleheader. And then after that, Soria, Richards, Castro come into the bullpen, a scoreless bullpen, I guess, appearance from that. And it was just the most bizarre game I think I've ever seen because, you know, for those first six innings, everyone kind of, you know, it was definitely a boring game to watch. They were getting no hit and you're kind of wondering to yourself, how did the Jays go from this like 45 minutes ago to putting up or getting shut down by Keegan Aiken again for the second time in two weeks, but this time being no hit into the 11th inning, or the 11th inning, the 7th inning, where the Jays put together 11 runs in one inning, and it's just another game where you just, it didn't feel real. I mean, Bo Bichette, a go-ahead two-run home run, I think that was all, that that was enough, obviously, from that point, because the Jays took the lead. Kirk uh, follows suit with the home run. Uh, Simeon homers, uh, Hernandez homers, and all of a sudden you're like, it feels like you're watching around a batting practice. It just the the t- how quickly the tides turn this weekend, especially in this doubleheader, was insane. And you know, as much as it was the Orioles again, couldn't believe it. Uh, couldn't believe the comebacks that they had to do. Obviously, they shouldn't have had to come from behind from a team like Baltimore, but it just shows the team that the Jays have, and you know how they never give up, and just everything about that clubhouse just shows from this past weekend. And, of course, we know from the game today, they win their 80th game of the season. And like I mentioned, Gurriel hits a grand slam. Hernandez hits a grand slam. Pretty much everyone almost homered. And and uh, Steven Matz didn't pitch the greatest, but, I mean, you scored 22 runs, and obviously that's enough. So there you go. Uh, Jays end off a good, a, a good road trip on a winning note, on a comeback note in terms of the craziest weekend in doubleheaders ever. And they come home for a massive six-game homestand this week. Yeah, you really get the sense that like all the potential that we saw earlier this season, finally it's all come together, and it did in the Yankees series, and it's really wild all the ways we're seeing the Blue Jays win. In the Yankees series, it was all about complete domination from the start of the game, and you're playing, in many cases, close games, but tacking on crucial runs later. This series against Baltimore, even though it shouldn't have been this, it shouldn't have been a comeback battle for the Blue Jays at a lot of points, it was, but it shows the different ways this team can win. And from this point forward, I forget who said it, it was some Blue Jay reporter, but they mentioned that um, no matter what game the Blue Jays play, they're never going to think they're out of it. After you win a game like they did on the first game of that doubleheader, after you win that second game of the doubleheader in the way that they did, there's no way you look at any deficit as too big to overcome. Even if the Blue Jays were on the other side of this 22-7 to loss, I have a feeling that they would still be going out there and treating every at-bat as if it was important and crucial because any deficit right now is within reach for this team. So I think as far as this weekend may have been a shred of a disappointment in the fact that they lost that Friday night game it shows you what this team can do the consistency that they can have in the plate and the heart that they have to be able to come back in wins and losses like these and really battle in crucial situations which is of course really really important I think we're starting to see teams around the league and other media markets start to fear the Blue Jays because what they have done over the last two, three weeks is just ridiculous. And I want to play this clip from uh, WEEI, which is a radio station in Boston, of uh, the broadcasters there talking about the Blue Jays and what they've done and what they've accomplished. So take a listen. 
Vlad Guerrero's tied Otani for the home run lead. He hit his 44th today. Who hasn't homered for the Blue Jays? Today. Guerrero had a grand slam. Hernandez is homered. It's 18-4 in the fifth inning, Joe. Jake Lamb is homered. It's just keep on coming. The Oscar Hernandez is driven in five today. And Guriel six. He scored 22 in the doubleheader yesterday. Guriel just did a second home run. It's just insane. But wouldn't you say there's a growing consensus in the American League that nobody wants to see the Blue Jays if they get in? I would say so. That just makes me smile listening to it. Um, just because you love to hear the kind of... I don't know if I would describe it as disappointment or shock or a little bit of both when they describe, well, Teoscar Hernandez homered again, Jake Lamb went deep. Um, It's pretty ridiculous. But yeah, I think there is a growing sense that the Blue Jays are a force to be reckoned with and don't want to get ahead of ourselves. We know things can change on a dime with this team, but it really seems like this push is for real and this team is making it. And I watch them with disbelief every night when these things happen, but it really seems like they are right now the team to be in the American League. It is, and if you want to compare them to a team like the Red Sox and the Yankees right now, they're just hanging on for dear life, especially the Red Sox. We know uh, the situations they've had with COVID, but of course, uh, the Yankees too, struggling. They think they ended their losing streak for the first time uh, on Saturday night against the Mets in the Subway Series. Um, it just... And when you want to compare them to the Jays, it's just a completely different level right now. And that's what's the that's what makes them the scariest team, not in, in just that wild card race, like, like you were mentioning, Mark, but the entire American League. And you know they have they have a tough series coming up this time. We know it's the Rays. We know that they're arguably, if not the best team in the American League right now as well. And the record shows that as well. It's going to be tough. We know the Jays don't really play the Rays well, but the you know just. The, how good the Jays have been playing, it gives you some a glimmer of hope or it, for this series alone. But, you know, just for that playoff push as well, it just feels like, um, you know, the Jays, it's just it, they're destined to get in. Just the stories that they've been through the past two years, everything, the offense finally clicking, like you said, and everything clicking, as you mentioned, actually, at the same time. And that's what's the biggest part of this is for me is because it just shows how dangerous and lethal of a team this is. And, of course, all these guys hitting home runs every night is not going to be you know, sustained for the rest of the season, but it just shows the offense, regardless um, of the night or regardless of the situation, they're going to put up runs somehow in some way. And, you know, even going back to what you said of how you said the, the Blue Jays feel like they're in every game. They don't just feel like it because, or they don't just say it. They they back it up, and they've backed it up more than once this year. You go back to the first homestand when they were back in Toronto over the Red Sox. You go back to the Oakland game. You go back to many games from this series alone, uh, from the series beforehand and before before that as well. So there's just so many situations where they've done that. And, you know, that Oakland game, I'm just saying, and we know this too, and I think Dan Shulman said it, when Simeon uh, tied the game, or no, when it was Gurriel that tied the game and Simeon hit the walk-off, that is the game to look back to if everything goes according to plan at the end of the year and say this is where it officially turned around. But you know what? The rest of the league is on notice. I don't know the last time I've seen the MLB Instagram account post about the Jays in two or three consecutive days. It's great to see. Uh, it's usually something else. It's not usually the Jays. So in a couple games, and I think they actually had their own post alone today with the final score. And of course, Gurriel hitting grand slams, Vladimir Guerrero Jr. tying Shohei Otani with 44 home runs, something that obviously is huge in the home run race. I know Vladimir Guerrero Jr. still has a shot technically at the Triple Crown Award, as much as people may not think it's as big as it used to be. That's still obviously an accomplishment because we know 
or we all we obviously know that Shohei Otani is the front runner for the MVP. So all these guys are putting up good numbers, and it's hard to forget about all of this in terms of a Guerrero slump that we were talking about almost a month ago. Um, even Lourdes Gurriel Jr. having a slow start to the season. When you look at his, you know, his season numbers in total now, he's hitting 280 and OPS of 802. It all balanced out, and it's all kind of forgot forgotten about it just because of the pace he's played at over the last 15 days. He's another one over the last 15 days who's been on fire. Not even that, the last 30 days, but in the last 15 days alone, five home runs and 24 RBIs, an OPS over 1,300, a 375 average. It's just, these are insanely numbers from almost everyone. I mean, I can count one, two, seven Blue Jays right now in the last two weeks with an OPS over 1,000. Bichette, Kirk, Hernandez, Simeon, Guerrero, Gurriel, Jansen. Those guys right alone, I, I just can't remember the last time we've ever kind of seen this from people alone. And Vladimir Guerrero Jr., his OPS remains over 1,000 uh, for the entire season. Just These are insane numbers. And when you look back on it, it's just crazy to believe the numbers that they put up. It doesn't feel real. Everyone's in utter shock of what the heck was going on this weekend. I can tell you that. Um, it's just crazy how how fun of a sport it is. The only concern, I guess, if you want to take away something in a bad way, was the pitching wasn't the greatest overall in terms of starting pitching and bullpen help. I mean, if you want to sum it up all in a four-game series, I think that's got to be worked on. But when you look at the series beforehand, they, the pitching was amazing against the Yankees. So it just shows how crazy of a sport baseball is. But you need pitching to beat the Rays this week. And I'm sure the Jays are going to, you know, focus on areas to improve as much as they're happy for over the past weekend, especially for this uh, series coming up against the Rays. Yeah, well, that's exactly what I was going to ask you about, because if we're talking about the weaknesses of this team, the weakness from this series, certainly not the hitting, it is a starting pitching. And I guess a tiny little bit of the bullpen you saw a couple of people struggle out of the bullpen, but primarily the main problem, if you're trying to pick out anything, is Hyunjin Ryu giving up seven earned runs in 2.1 innings, which I believe is his shortest start since 2019. Um, of course, the shortest start is a Blue Jay, so that's not ideal. And then you have Steven Matz, you know, different dynamic because the Blue Jays, you know, he never pitched in a situation where the Blue Jays didn't have a five-run lead. But at the same time, he gave up five runs in his time. And of course, it would have been shorter if... Um, uh, less runs if it had not been a blowout because the Blue Jays would have taken him out earlier if it was a closer game. But still, not an ideal start from Steven Matz, especially when we've seen him be so dominant over the past month, month and a half, two months. So I want to ask you about that, and especially Ryu, because I know we've talked about concerns with him and his lack of quality starts this season. And, you know, you look at his ERA, it's up to 4.11. This is a guy the Blue Jays are paying $20 million this year. So... Like, if you're looking ahead, and maybe this is getting too far ahead of ourselves, but if you're looking ahead, obviously not the wild card game. Everyone knows that Robbie Ray is starting the wild card game if the Blue Jays are in that situation. But if you look ahead to something like the American League Division Series or the ALCS in a longer five or seven game series, do you contemplate taking Ryu out of the rotation? And like, you know, you know, in postseason spots that you roll with a four man rotation, if the situation allows, if the schedule allows, maybe even a three man rotation. Right now, Hyunjin Ryu is the worst starter on the Blue Jays. Is he the odd man out? Is he the, you know, kind of R.A. Dickey type who moves to the bullpen and becomes a long man? Or do the Blue Jays even consider leaving him off the postseason roster entirely, given how he's pitched lately? Like, it's weird that the, we're at that point of considering even doing that for a guy the Blue Jays had as their ace earlier in this season, but just the way he's pitching lately, it it, it kind of begs the question of whether the Blue Jays should do that. So where do you stand on that person? 
I think it's a legitimate consideration. I mean, it, the problem with Ryu this year alone, obviously outside of those first two months, is the inconsistency is ridiculous. And I mean, you you really don't know now, no matter who you're pitching or who he's pitching against, because it's just bizarre. Because he pitched really well at Yankee Stadium last week. Uh, he gets lit up by the Orioles, you know, a couple days ago. It's just it's weird because it doesn't matter on the matchup. It literally it's almost a coin flip at this point because. He's really good or he's really bad, and there's no middle with him. And we've said that all year. I said it about 10 minutes ago. That's the problem here. And I think that any decision on him being in a playoff rotation or anything like that is obviously going to be considered, and I think it's going to be right down to the wire. But if I want to look at it right now, um, he's the fourth starter on this team. Um, I know Steven Matz has technically been pitching better than him, but I just something unless it, this continues, um, he's he's the fourth guy. I think um, I think it's Ray, obviously Barrios. I think Alec Manoa surpassed him as the third best on this team, and then really, but it's not as cl- it's not as um, it's pretty it's closer than what people think is what I'm trying to say between Matz and Ryu because there is definitely a possibility where you get closer to that point. I know we are getting ahead of ourselves, but it is a legitimate conversation if they get that far if Matt's maybe starts ahead of him. And I think it's something that's not impossible. And it's, it's definitely something that's going to be considered. I mean, he's definitely no lock uh, to be in a, a playoff rotation. It's just, it's sad, really. It's just, and it's also kind of uh, disappointing because you mentioned he was the ace this year. He was the ace last year. They're paying him like an ace. They owe him, what is it? Um, 40 million over the next two seasons. It was an 80 million deal in total. $80 million deal in total for four years, and they're obviously halfway through that after this year. There's a lot of money owed to him for the next two years. And if it's at like if it's at this rate now, it's gonna be it's not gonna be the prettiest next two years. I mean, we we really don't know. I mean, other than Mark, you were mentioning obviously how his numbers have declined. I think that's maybe the only conclusion you can make from this. But I mean, if you're in a situation where you have to throw him out in a playoff game down the line, regardless, maybe you're you know, up in the series, you're down in the series, regardless of the situation. I don't know how comfortable I'd feel. I I really don't just due to the fact of the uncertainty that you're getting from him, regardless of the team, it's either really good or really bad. And I think that's concerning for someone who was your race almost six months ago. Yeah, exactly. And if I know people last time we talked about Hengen Ryu and the concerns over his numbers, and even though his primary numbers weren't horrible, you look at some of the stat cast numbers, the advanced metrics, they didn't treat him well. Um, the argument then was, well, Danny Jansen isn't catching him, right? And his stats, his splits are so different with Danny Jansen behind the plate versus someone like Reese McGuire or Alejandro Kirk. Um, it was Danny Jansen behind the plate in the first game of that doubleheader. He was catching Ryu in that game, and Ryu gave up seven runs in less than three innings of work. So I was always skeptical on that argument. You can look at the numbers. Yes, maybe it favors him. And yes, you look at the argument that like, he just knows this guy better. You know, Ryu, you, it's very hard to think along with him on the mound, but Jansen does his best at doing that. You can make that argument, but it didn't work out this time. <laughs> like, it, I really don't think that's the case with him, and I think it's a serious consideration. Like you, I think, I hate to say it, but I think his status as a player, his history as a pitcher, requires him to be on that roster, at the moment, at least, from what we know. Like, as much as I want to be partial to the stats that we have in front of us and the trends from the last two months, he has been there before. He's gone to the postseason countless of times with the Dodgers. He's led them to the postseason in the first place. So I would put him in that situation. But at the same time, I think the numbers over the next 
three weeks are going to be very dependent in that case if the Blue Jays get to the ALDS or they get to the ALCS. So it'll be a very interesting conversation to have later down the line. But um, another thing to talk about, you mentioned it, is Vladimir Guerrero Jr. sneaking up on the Triple Crown again. Uh, I think we had all, you know, at the start of the season, we were all hopeful about it. We saw the stats, even though if we didn't think they were sustainable, we were hopeful about it. He is creeping up into Triple Crown watch now again because he had his 44th home run of the season today, so he is officially tied for the Major League lead with Shohei Otani. He leads the American League in batting average at 319. He's four points ahead of um, Yuli Gurriel, I believe it is, who is in uh, fifth place, uh, excuse me, second place with a 315 batting average. And then he is, I think, fourth in RBI. He is five back of Jose Abreu, who leads Major League Baseball. He's tied for third, excuse me, with Rafael Devers. He has 102, Abreu has 107, and Salvador Perez is in between them. So, entirely possible. He is very close. Um, you know, if he has a good last few weeks, uh, you know, Shohei Otani has slowed down a lot. Salvador Perez has been really hot, but I think he's slowed down as well. Um, and Vladdy's heating up and staying hot. So I think as far as average and homers go, I would bet on him finishing first in those two categories. I think the only thing that he might miss out on is RBI. And, you know, we can talk about how much RBI doesn't matter, but if we're looking at the triple crown, of course, it's the important metric. And, um, I think it's possible. I, I, I don't think it's going to happen, but I think it's very possible. It's very exciting to watch. And if you look at where we were with Guerrero, you know, just two, three weeks ago in the middle of his very bad slump and our concerns about him and our frustrations with him, um, it's nice to see him turn it around and get back into that conversation. But Bryson, I I know you think it's possible. Like, obviously, it's possible for him to get the Triple Crown. Um, Like, what do you think the odds are on it happening? I would probably put it at 30% or maybe 40%. Like, I think it's a very realistic possibility. I think if you ran a simulation 100 times, it would still happen less than half the time. But, you know, it's creeping up there. It's getting up there in likelihood. It is. And I'm, I think I'm a little bit more optimistic than you just because of the, you know, obviously he's out of the slump. He's been playing well uh, for the entire month of September. And there's no really signs of any of these people on the offense slowing down, not just him, but anybody. And yeah, he's currently trailing by, but I think it's five home runs. I believe Jose Abreu is the leader. You have a couple of people ahead. I think you already mentioned that. So he's about five back. We know everything else is up there. We know his war is creeping up. But for the Triple Crown itself, I'm probably going to put it around 45 to 50%. I really think there's a chance he can do this and a really good chance. It's just something that would be remarkable for him to do, regardless of how people feel about it. It's, you know, it's going to be an award he gets um, at first of many from him. But yeah, you know, just the season he's had in total, we know about how special it's been through the ups and downs and through everything like that. And, you know, he's back in the, he got himself back in the home run race. He tied Otani today. So that's something that he got himself back into. And with the power returning uh, from his bat, ever since he's starting, started to play well again, since September started, and people getting on base left, right, and center right now. The RBIs are pouring in for everybody. So that's why I do think there's a legitimate shot, obviously. And I would probably put it around 40 to 50%. It's definitely going to be hard because Jose Abreu is somebody who also has no signs of slowing down too. Because as much as Guerrero's got to put up RBIs himself, you need these guys to kind of slow down a touch, if anything, right? So, And it's obviously hard to bet off of somebody like Abreu on the White Sox, who are another great team and pretty much have the AL Central uh, wrapped up with 82 wins right now. And I think they have almost, what is it, almost a 15-game lead on the uh, Cleveland for second place. It's 12 games to be exact. And there you go. So, I mean, 
if that happens, a little bit of a slowdown or Guerrero just continues to outperform these people, then for sure I'm going to give it around 45 to 50% just because he's in that range of five. If it was anything other than five or probably outside of five, I'd be a little bit lower or probably a lot lower. But the, the fact that he's in range and he keeps creeping closer and closer, he's on the right track, which is why I'll be optimistic about it. Interesting. Well, we will certainly be watching out for that. It's going to be very exciting. And he is, even if he misses out on the Triple Crown, he is putting up historical numbers that any of us, if we were entering this season, we're looking at these numbers, we would be over the moon. And, um, you know, just looking back to the start of the season, in our preseason prediction episode, I think, Bryson, you and Jacob said that it would be Bo Bichette leading the team in war. I said it would be Marcus Simeon leading the team in war. No one predicted that Vladimir Guerrero Jr. would be up there. I know, I think Simeon does have the lead on him, or maybe they're tied in war in the American League for first. I know it's neck and neck between the two, but no one predicted that Vladdy would be having the season that he is having. So just ridiculous numbers. No matter what happens, you have to be absolutely thrilled with what he's done. And outside of the triple crown categories, he's putting up ridiculous numbers. OPS, first in the American League, second in baseball behind only Bryce Harper. We mentioned average. He is second in baseball, first in the American League. He's only a couple points behind Starling Marte, who, of course, he plays for the Athletics now, but um, was in the National League earlier this season, so his numbers don't count for the American League. Home runs, we mentioned. RBI, we mentioned. But runs, Bo Bichette and Vladimir Guerrero Jr. are 1-2 and two in the in all of baseball in runs. Hits, they're, again, 1-2 and two in hits in all of baseball. Doubles and triples, of course, they don't rake. But games played, Vladimir Guerrero Jr. is third behind Marcus Simeon and Whit Merrifield with 142 games played. At-bats, Bo Bichette and Marcus Simeon are up there. Walks, Vladdy is fifth. Strikeouts, they're nowhere near the top ten. Um, you have all these numbers, OBP and slugging as well, they're up there. That is just, it blows my mind. This offense blows my mind. And it continues to blow every fan out of the water with what they're doing. And it's continually impressive. And just some recognition for some of the other names that did awesome things this weekend that we haven't talked about. Um, I think you mentioned Lourdes Gurriel Jr. Bryson, but he's doing ridiculous things. His, what was it, fourth Grand Slam of the season, the most Grand Slams in a single season in franchise history, um, which he accomplished today. And, of course, we know the Grand Slams that he had earlier this year. You got Danny Jansen putting up awesome numbers since he returned from the injured list. You have all these contributions up and down the lineup. Bravik Valera, we've mentioned him. Jake Lamb chipping in today. You have guys like um, Teoscar Hernandez, of course, at the top of the lineup that we talk about all the time. But still impressive performances. And even guys like Randall Grishik. Like, he's not scalding hot, but he's holding his own in the lineup. And that's what makes this lineup so deep. So you have to appreciate... All those different guys, and that's part of the reason why the Blue Jays are having so much success right now, is that one through nine, at any given time, they are so, so deep. They are, and you know, for Vladimir Guerrero Jr. today, too, there was a cool stat about exit velocity, regardless of how people think of it. Uh, I think today was his 13th career home run with 113 plus miles per hour exit velocity, second most in the MLB since the start of 2019 behind Miguel Sano. So we all know even when he's making contact or making hitting home runs, they are absolute rockets. And I think we saw that, especially uh, that Oakland series, there were just a couple home runs that were just absolutely destroyed. But yeah, the, the deepness of this lineup is insane. I mean, Gurriel today too, seven RBI, uh, seven RBI, sorry. And that's just, you know, one out of many. So it's great to see everybody hitting at the same time like everybody is hitting at the same time for the most part and so many guys too that you d never really thought of to be explosive as they are are you know 
adding to the just adding to it and that's what's making this team one of the most dangerous in the American League right now over the last couple of weeks and it's great to see because it's also the perfect time for this stretch all year we've been saying it we've been waiting for the run we all we were going all the way back to May saying this was the time for them to start the run and all season it's just been ups and downs some disappointments hovering above 500 or around 500 sorry a few times even the Jays were below 500 as of a few months ago that's crazy they were below 500 I think one or two games back in June or July and look at them now at 80 and what was it 63 or something like that so there you go and that's remarkable and it's 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 there's so much more to go, a couple more weeks to go, and it can't stop now, especially this week when you have the the Rays coming to town, and then, of course, this weekend, I believe it is the Minnesota Twins. Mm-hmm. And that's the thing. It's like you have these series against Tampa Bay, which, like, we can talk about it now. I am scared for this series, <laughs> like, to be completely honest. They're going to be a very different type of game than we just saw against Baltimore. Obviously, they're going to be low scoring, or at least on the Blue Jays' side, I think we can assume they're going to be low scoring. Tampa Bay pitching always comes out and seems to just shut down the Blue Jay lineup. So it's going to be a struggle for the offense, I think, to get things going in this three-game set. But on the pitching side of things, that's what I'm really nervous for because Tampa Bay this year, for all these years as they've been known as a pitching first team, this year they've put the hitting to the test. And the hitting is among the best teams in Major League Baseball. Um, So that's what I'm scared about. Uh, I know guaranteed pretty much that the offense is going to get shut down by Tampa's pitching. I'm just scared about what our pitching, about what the Blue Jays pitching is going to do against Tampa Bay offense. So I think that'll be the deciding factor in this series. And I don't know, we can get our predictions in now. I hate to say it, but I'm going to say one of three for the Blue Jays. I think they lose two of these games. It just... It always seems like they struggle against Tampa Bay. And even if they lose this series, even if they lose the next game and get the next series against Tampa Bay, like you mentioned, they got those series against Baltimore, that series against Minnesota. They have these games to pick up momentum and gain ground and continue to put space between them and the other guys in the wildcard race. So I'm not concerned if they lose one of three. That's just the expectation or win one of three. That's just the expectation for me. Um, And I don't think it really matters because they have these other games that are easy to win. So that's my prediction, one of three. I can't believe I'm doing this again. I'm not going to call a sweep, but I do think because of how good they've been playing, for this reason alone, I know it's the Rays. I got to be optimistic, and I have to be keen on them winning two out of three. I really think they can do it, but yes, it's going to be tough. We all know this. It's going to be their toughest series um, in a couple of weeks. So you have, I don't believe the Rays have a listed starter for tomorrow, but you have Alec Manoa going tomorrow night. Um, And of course, on the Tuesday game, you have Drew Rasmussen and Jose Barrios. And then on the final game on the Wednesday, the afternoon game, uh, I think it's Roberto Clemente Day on Wednesday. Uh, You have Michael Waka against Robbie Ray. I'm really liking Robbie Ray on Wednesday for a bounce back outing. I think um, I think he's going to be pitching well on Wednesday. I'm very optimistic about that game alone. I don't know which one I think they'll win out of Monday or Tuesday, but one of these two games for the first two games, I think they steal from the Rays. Um, I just I got a feeling about this. I mean, you know, they put up 22 runs today. It's hard for me to say that they're gonna um, you know slow down. I know they will slow down, but it's hard to me. It's hard for me to believe they're gonna hit a a wall or kind of like that, or just to make, you know, to make the most sense of it, hard for them to hit a wall. I think they're going to slow down a bit, but I still think that they're going to be productive, maybe more than we've seen out of them, I guess, in history against the Rays. But 
I mean, it's going to be tough. We know this, and they need to win this. I mean, that's another reason why I'm saying it like that they have to win this series because. The Red Sox and Yankees are right behind them. You mentioned it right at the beginning of the episode, Mark. There's a chance by tonight, after the, uh, Sunday night baseball, that the Yankees, Ray, I mean, sorry, the Yankees, Red Sox, and Jays are in a three-way tie for that first wild card spot. So this is crucial for them to win, and um, you you need to take advantage of it. You got to keep going, and just what they've done over the past ten games, nine and one. Um, they come home to, I guess, you know, a crowd that's definitely going to be loud for the rest of the season now, just especially because of where they sit in the standings. Everyone knows the situation. Everyone knows what's going on, including the players. I'm excited for this series as much as I'm scared at the same time. Yeah, should be a fun time. Um, I just like they are one of the two best teams in baseball. It's them and the Giants that are ridiculously good and I just can't expect the Blue Jays to win a series against a team that's that good as hot as they are right now I just don't expect it and again I'm not going to be freaking out if they lose two or three it's going to be a perfectly fine world if they lose two or three I expect them to lose two or three and my uh outlook on this season will not change no matter what happens in this series even if they get swept my outlook on this season is not going to change because of how good the Rays are um and I think the Jays are a worse team, so I expect them to lose to them. Um, okay, one thing I did forget to mention when we were talking about Vladimir Guerrero Jr., there has been some reignited talks about MVP for Vladdy. I think in the middle part of the season, people had kind of sold it off. We've had this discussion before, but people kind of accepted that Shohei Otani is going to win the MVP award. People are talking again of Vladimir Guerrero Jr. in that conversation. And we know he's going to get votes. We know he's going to get some type of recognition in that conversation. But does he have the chance to take over Shohei Otani for that MVP lead? Where do you stand on that, Bryson? Well, first of all, I know starting tomorrow, uh, there's probably going to be a reignite also an MVP chance. I feel like, you know, for the first time since that July 30th game, people are going to hear it a little bit louder than they have, I guess, from the other games going forward. I would love it. I mean, all of us would love him to win the MVP. I just, I feel like it's too late in terms of it. And really, it's not that Vladimir Guerrero Jr. did anything wrong, but we know the two-way player Otani is a generational talent. He is. And if, I mean, barring anything else, I think the only way it's changed is if there's an injury and you don't want anyone to get injured. But I just feel like Otani's done enough and Vladimir Guerrero Jr. obviously did everything he can as well. But it's, you know, it's unfortunately, it's just um, the way it is. And I still think Otani's a lock for it. I mean, it's still remarkable this, to look back at these numbers, especially down the line, and see what Vladimir Guerrero Jr. did this year and kind of realize how these numbers that he put up and he didn't win an MVP. I think that's what's going to be the, the most crazy part, even at the end of the year when you look at it. But, you know, we all know Otani's good both ways in terms of pitching and hitting. The one thing I would like to see is Guerrero to finish the year with more home runs than Otani. I mean, maybe that gives a little bit more consideration. And the other thing too is, I think um, you mentioned it, or we've mentioned it in the past is, you know, depending on the Jays in the playoffs too, that might have an impact as well, because usually it does in, in terms of, you know, regardless if you think it's fair or not, in terms of teams uh, that are playoff teams and pe- people on teams that aren't playoff teams. And that's some, some, usually has some sort of, um, you know, impact on it. So that's why it also kind of depends on a, a Jays playoff run if they get there. I mean, I think something has to go, you know, everything for them in the playoffs would obviously have to go right for anything to change in some sort of fashion. But I'm still going stick to stick to Otani as the lock for the MVP, as much as it pains me to say. Yeah, I'm right there with you. Um, 
as fun as it is to entertain it, and I think Vladdy's going to finish second in MVP voting, it's a lock for Shohei Otani, even in the situation that Otani gets injured, which none of us are hoping for because you always root for players to put up their best performance on the field, even if they're playing against the Blue Jays. Even if Shohei Otani gets injured today and is out for the rest of the season, and Vladimir Guerrero Jr., I don't know, hits a home run in every single game or something, like does some ridiculous thing over the rest, you know, 19 remaining games in this season, I still think Shohei Otani is a lock. Because what he's doing has never been seen in baseball before. It is beyond the describable. Um, and uh, you just can't replicate that. You can't look at that season and say, this is not the best season ever in the history of baseball for any single player. Like, it is. It's ridiculous. And even if he was injured today, even if he doesn't play a single game for the rest of the season, um, he is winning the MVP, in my mind. It's a lock. Um Okay, one last thing, I promise, 50 home runs for Vladdy. Likelihood of that happening. Like, percentage? There's 19, what, yeah, there's 19 games left in the season. He's at 44 right now. He needs six games and six home runs in the next 19 games to reach 50. What's the odds of that happening in your mind? 90%. I think he gets it easily. Wow. I am sold on it. I know that we were looking at, or I think at the broadcast yesterday, they were showing, I guess, the amount of home runs in a season. I know Jose Bautista is the leader from 54, or 54 home runs, but I mean, maybe not this year. I think eventually Vladimir Guerrero Jr. has a chance to catch that record alone in the future, but this year, I'm pretty sold on him getting 50 home runs. I just, I can't be told otherwise. The only, obviously, the only reason would be him running out of time, quite frankly, but, and even if he didn't have his slump uh, about a month ago, I think that also would have been caught up to or almost he'd be almost near 50 by now I think he'd be well ahead of Otani by a few but the the rate he's on I'm gonna say um he's gonna get it I'm gonna say 90 percent okay I'll say 40 percent no no that's too low wow never mind I take that back I'll say (laughs) um 65 percent okay I, I think he'll finish with 49 home runs oh I think he's going to be right there and get cut off at the deadline. Um, Unless the Blue Jays play a tiebreaker game. Because that's very much within the realm of possibilities as we look at the standings now. They may have to play a tiebreaker game. And if they do, 163 in the regular season, that game does count as a regular season game. In that case, I'll say he hits 50 if they get to play a tiebreaker. But until then, I don't think he will. Yeah, before you wrap things, I just want to ask you i don't know if i'd be able to handle a tiebreaker game and then oh, followed no. by that a po- possible wildcard game <laughs> yeah oh my god I, yeah there's no way i can handle that <laughs> and in the case of i was looking it up earlier today because it's impossible that we end today with a three-way tie in the case of a three-way tie atop the ao wildcard race there would be seedings based on head-to-head record for a team that's the a seed a team that's the b seed uh and a team that's a c seed and then the way it works is that the A and B team play each other. Whoever wins that game is guaranteed the first spot in the wild card. And then whoever loses that game plays the C team. And whoever wins that game goes to the second spot in the wild card. So there's a possibility. There is a world where the Blue Jays are an A or B seed. And they lose the first one game playoff. So they play another one game playoff. They win that one and then they play the wild card game. So there's a situation, there is a world where the Blue Jays play three do or die games back to back to back. 
I I don't know how I'm gonna handle. I don't know how anyone's gonna handle that. That is insane. I mean, one <laughs> wild card nightmare game. Nightmare fuel. <laughs> yeah, and we we know what a wild card game's like from 2016. That alone is enough in terms of the nerves, and and that's just another thing. That's yeah, it's tough because it's we all know it's a coin flip in pretty much any hand, and we know though if the Jays are gonna get in, we're gonna have to go through that again. And really, you do hope it's in Toronto. So hopefully that's the case because they have good history with the wild card game at Rogers Center, but yeah, the nerves in that game or even a possible tiebreaker series to begin that or before that, that is ridiculous. I don't know how I'd be able to do it. Yeah, I would be a nervous wreck for weeks. It would be horrible. Um, Okay, but we'll wrap it up there. Thank you to everyone who listened to this episode. As always, it is a joy to watch the Blue Jays right now and we're very much looking forward to this series against Tampa Bay, even if we're a little bit afraid of what it might hold. Um, as always, you can follow us on social media at Section138Pod. That's on Instagram and Twitter. You can watch our episodes on YouTube um, if you prefer to consume podcasts that way. And if you're watching this episode, you can listen to our podcast wherever you get podcasts, including Apple Podcasts, where you can give us a rating and review. Even if you don't listen to the podcast on Apple, we still appreciate you going there and giving us a little five-star review or even if we don't deserve that, a four or three-star review. Anything helps to help spread the word about what we're doing here. Um, and then the last thing is you can support us on Patreon. That's patreon.com slash section138pod. Um, okay, lots of fun stuff happening. We'll see what happens over the next three days. And we'll catch you after that series, and hopefully we have Jacob with us.